Part two, chapter three of the Daisy Chain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Daisy Chain by Charlotte Mary Young. Part two, chapter three. Any silk, any thread, any toys for your head. Of the newest and finest whereof, come to the peddler, money's a meddler, that doth utter all men's wera. Winter's Tale This one day, and it will be over, and we shall be rational again, thought Ethel as she awoke. Flora was sleeping at the Grange, to be ready for action in the morning, and Ethel was to go early with Mary and Blanche, who were frantic to have a share in the selling. Norman and the boys were to walk at their own time, and the children to be brought later by Miss Bracy. The doctor would be bound by no rules. It was a patterned day, bright, clear, warm, and not oppressive, perfect for an out-of-door fit, and Ethel had made up her mind to fulfill her promise to Margaret of enjoying herself. In the brilliant sunshine and between two such happy sisters, it would have been surly, indeed, not to enter into the spirit of the day, and Ethel laughed gaily with them, and at their schemes and hopes, Blanche's heart being especially set on knowing the fate of a watch-guard of her own construction. Hearing that the ladies were in the gardens, they repaired thither at once. The broad, smooth bowling green lay before them, a marquis almost converted into a bower, bounding it on either side, while in the midst arose gorgeous and delicious, a pyramid of flowers, contributions from all the hot houses in the neighborhood, to be sold for the benefit of the bazaar. Their freshness and fragrance gave a brightness to the whole scene, while shrinking from such light, as only the beauteous works of nature could bear, was the array accomplished by female fingers. Under the wreathed canopies were the stalls, piled up with bright colors, most artistically arranged. Ethel, with her over-minute knowledge of every article, could hardly believe that yonder glowing eastern pattern of scarlet, black, and blue was, in fact, a judicious mosaic of pen-wipers that she remembered, as shreds begged from the tailor, that the delicate lace-work consisted of Miss Bracy's perpetual antimassacres, and that the Potichamani could look so dignified an Etruscan. "'Here you are,' cried Meta Rivers, springing to meet them, "'Good girls, to come early. Where's my little Daisy?' "'Coming in good time,' said Ethel. "'How pretty it all looks.' "'But where's Flora? Where's my watch-guard?' anxiously asked Blanche. "'She was here just now,' said Maida, looking round. "'What a genius she is, Ethel. She worked wonders all yesterday, and let the Miss Hoxtons think it was all their own doing, and she was out before six this morning, putting finishing touches.' "'Is this your stall?' said Ethel. "'Yes, but it will not bear a comparison with hers. "'It has a lady's maid look by the side of hers. "'In fact, Belair's and my aunt's maid did it chiefly, "'for Papa was rather ailing yesterday, and I could not be out much. "'How is he now?' "'Better. He will walk round by and by. "'I hope it will not be too much for him.' "'Oh, what beautiful things!' cried Mary in ecstasy at what she was forced to express by the vague substantive, for her imagination had never stretched to the marvels she beheld. 
i we have been lazy you see and so aunt leonora brought down all these smart concerns it is rather like howell and james isn't it in fact lady leonora's marquee was filled with costly knick-knacks which as maida justly said had not half the grace and appropriate air that reigned where flora had arranged and where margaret had worked with the peculiar freshness and finish that distinguished everything to which she set her hand miss cleveland's counter was not ill set out but it wanted the air of ease and simplicity which was even more noticeable than the perfect taste of flora's wares if there had been nothing facetious the effect would have been better but there was nothing to regret and the whole was very bright and gay blanche could hardly look so anxious was she for flora to tell her the locality of her treasure there she is said meta at last george is fixing that branch of evergreen for her flora i did not know her cried each sister amazed while mary added oh how nice she looks it was the first time seeing her in the white muslin and broad chip hat which all the younger saleswomen of the bazaar had agreed to wear it was a most becoming dress and she did indeed look strikingly elegant and well-dressed it occurred to ethel for the first time that flora was decidedly the reigning beauty of the bazaar no one but meta rivers could be compared to her and that little lady was on so small a scale of perfect finish that she seemed fit to act the fairy where flora was the enchanted princess flora greeted her sisters eagerly while meta introduced her brother a great contrast to herself though not without a certain comeliness tall and large with ruddy complexion deep lustrousless black eyes and a heavy straight bush of black moustache veiling rather thick lips blanche reiterated inquiries for her watchguard i don't know said flora somewhere among the rest blanche was in despair you may look for it said flora who however hurried never failed in kindness if you will touch nothing so blanche ran from place to place in restless dismay that caused mr george rivers to ask what was the matter the guards the guards cried blanche whereupon he fell into a fit of laughter which disconcerted her because she could not understand him and made ethel take an aversion to him on the spot however he was very good-natured he took blanche's reluctant hand and conducted her all along the stall even proceeding to lift her up where she could not command a view of the whole thus exciting her extreme indignation she shook herself out when he set her down surveyed her crumpled muslin and believed he took her for a little girl she ought to have been flattered when the quest was successful and he insisted on knowing which was the guard and declared that he should buy it she begged him to do no such thing and he desired to know why insisting that he would give five shillings fifteen twenty-five for that one till she did not know whether he was in earnest and she was doing an injury to the bazaar meantime the hour had struck and flora had placed mrs hoxton in a sheltered spot where she could take as much or as little trouble as she pleased lady leonora and miss langdale came from the house and with the two ladies maids in the background took up their station with miss rivers miss cleveland called her party to order and sounds of carriages were heard approaching mary and blanche dispersed the first money spent in the fancy fair mary on a blotting-book for harry to be placed among the presents to which she added on every birthday while blanche bought a sixpenny gift for every one 
with more attention to the quantity than the quality then came a revival of her anxieties for the guards and while mary was simply desirous of the fun of being a shopwoman and was made happy by maida rivers asking her help blanche was in despair till she had sidled up to their neighbourhood and her piteous looks had caused good-natured mrs hoxton to invite her to assist when she placed herself close to the precious object a great fluttering of heart went to that manoeuvre but still felicity could not be complete that great troublesome mr george rivers had actually threatened to buy nothing but that one watch-chain and blanche's eyes followed him everywhere with fear lest he should come that way and there were many other gentlemen what could they want but watch-guards and of them what save this paragon poor blanche what did she not undergo whenever any one cast his eye over her range of goods and this was not seldom for there was an attraction in the pretty little eager girl glowing and smiling one old gentleman actually stopped handled the guards themselves and asked their price eighteen pence said blanche coloring and faltering as she held up one in preference eh is not this the best said he to the lady on his arm oh please take that instead exclaimed blanche in extremity and why asked the gentleman amused i made this she answered is that the reason i must not have it no don't tease her the lady said kindly and the other was taken i wonder for what it is reserved the lady could not help saying as she walked away let us watch her for a minute or two what an embellishment children are ha don't you see the little maid is fluttering and reddening now how pretty she looks ah i see here's the favored don't you see that fine bronze lad eaten one can see it at a glance it is a little drama they are pretending to be strangers he is turning over the goods with an air she trying to look equally careless but what a pretty carnation it is ha ha he has come to it he has it now the acting is over and they are having their laugh out how joyously what next oh she begs off from keeping shop she darts out to him goes off in his hand i declare that is the prettiest sight in the whole fair i wonder who the little demoiselle can be the great event of the day was over now with blanche and she greatly enjoyed wandering about with hector and tom there was a post-office at miss cleveland's stall where on paying sixpence a letter could be obtained to the address of the inquirer blanche had been very anxious to try but flora had pronounced it nonsense however hector declared that flora was not his master tapped at the sliding panel and charmed blanche by what she thought a most witty parody of his name as achilles lion's rock esq when the answer came from within ship letter sir double postage they thought it almost uncanny and hector's shilling was requited by something so like a real ship letter that they had some idea that the real post had somehow transported itself thither the interior was decidedly oracular consisting of this one line i counsel you to persevere in your laudable undertaking hector said he wished he had any laudable undertaking and blanche tried to persuade tom to try his fortune but he pronounced that he did not care to hear harvey anderson's trash he knew his writing though disguised and had detected his shining boots below the counter there mr george rivers came up and began to tease blanche about the guards 
asking her to take his fifteen shillings, or five and twenty, and who had got that one, which alone he wanted, till the poor child, after standing perplexed for some moments, looked up with spirit and said, "'You have no business to ask,' and running away took refuge in the back of Mrs. Hoxton's marquee, where she found Ethel packing up for Miss Hoxton's purchasers, and confiding to her that Mr. George Rivers was a horrid man, she ventured no more from her protection. She did indeed emerge, when told that Papa was coming with Aubrey and Daisy and Miss Bracy, and she had the pleasure of selling to them some of her wares, Dr. May bargaining with her to her infinite satisfaction, and little Gertrude's blue eyes opened to their full width, not understanding what could have befallen her sisters. "'And what is Ethel doing?' asked the doctor. "'Packing up parcels, Papa,' and Ethel's face was raised, looking very merry. "'Packing parcels? How long will they last tied up?' said Dr. May, laughing. "'Lasting is a concern of nothing in the fair, Papa,' answered she, in the same tone. For Ethel was noted as the worst packer in the house, but, having offered to wrap up a pincushion, sold by a hurried Miss Hoxton, she became involved in the office for the rest of the day, the same which Belairs and her companion performed at the Langdale counter. Flora was too ready and dexterous to need any such aid, but the Mrs. Hoxton were glad to be spared the trouble, and Blanche, whose fingers were far neater than Ethel's, made the task much easier, and was kept constant to it by her dread of the dark moustache, which was often visible near their tent, searching, she thought, for her. Their humble employment was no sinecure, for this was the favorite stall with the purchasers of better style, since the articles were, in general, tasteful and fairly worth the moderate price set on them. At Miss Cleveland's counter there was much noisy laughter, many jocular cheats, tricks for gaining money, and refusals to give change, and it seemed to be very popular with the Stoneboro people, and to carry on a brisk trade. The only languor was in Lady Leonora's quarter. The articles were too costly, and hung on hand. Nor were the ladies sufficiently well-known, nor active enough, to gain custom, excepting Maida, who drove a gay traffic at her end of the stall, which somewhat redeemed the general languor. Her eyes were, all the time, watching for her father, and, suddenly perceiving him, she left her trade in charge of the delighted and important Mary, and hastened to walk round with him and show him the humours of the fair. Mary, in her absence, had the supreme happiness of obtaining Norman as a customer. He wanted a picture for his rooms at Oxford, and watercolour drawings were, as Tom had observed, suitable stable commodities for Miss Rivers. Mary tried to make him choose a brightly coloured pheasant with a pencil background, and, then, a fine foaming sea-piece, by some unknown lady Adelaide, that much dazzled her imagination. But nothing would serve him but a sketch of an old cedar tree, with Stoneborough Minster in the distance, and the Welsh hills beyond, which Mary thought a remarkable piece of bad taste, since, could he not see all that any day of his life? And was it worth while to give fourteen shillings and sixpence for it? But he said it was all for the good of Coxmore, and Mary was only too glad to add to her hoard of coin, so she only marvelled at his extravagance and offered to take care of it for him but to this he would not consent he made her pack it up for him and had just put the whitey brown parcel under his arm 
when Mr. Rivers and his daughter came up before he was aware. Mary proudly advertised Maida that she had sold something for her. Indeed, what was it? Your great picture of Stoneborough, said Mary. Is that gone? I am sorry you have parted with that, my dear. It was one of your best, said Mr. Rivers, in his soft, sleepy, gentle tone. Oh, Papa, I can do another. But I wonder. I put that extortionate price on it, thinking no one would give it, and so that I should keep it for you. Who has it, Mary? Norman, there. He would have it, though I told him it was very dear. Norman, pressed near them by the crowd, had been unable to escape, and stood blushing, hesitating, and doubting whether he ought to restore the prize, which he had watched so long, and obtained so eagerly. "'Oh, it is you?' said Mr. Rivers politely. "'Oh, no, do not think of exchanging it. I am rejoiced that one should have it who can appreciate it. It was his falling into the hands of a stranger that I disliked. You think with me that it is one of her best drawings?' "'Yes, I do,' said Norman, still rather hesitating. "'She did that with C. when he was here last year. "'He taught her very well. "'Have you that other here that you took with him, my dear? "'The view from the gate, I mean.' "'No, dear Papa, you told me not to sell that. "'Ah, I remember. That is right. "'But there are some very pretty copies from Prout here.' "'While he was seeking them, Meta contrived to whisper.' If you could persuade him to go indoors, this confusion of people is so bad for him, and I must not come away. I was in hopes of Dr. May, but he is with the little ones. Norman signed comprehension, and Maida said, Those copies are not worth seeing, but you know Papa, you have the originals in the library. Mr. Rivers looked pleased, but was certain that Norman could not prefer the sketches to this gay scene. However, it took very little persuasion to induce him to do what he wished, and he took Norman's arm, crossed the lawn, and arrived in his own study, where it was a great treat to him to catch anyone who would admire his accumulation of prints, drawings, coins, etc., and his young friend was both very well amused and pleased to be setting Miss Rivers's mind at ease on her father's account. It was not till half-past four that Dr. May knocked at the door and stood surprised at finding his son there. Mr. Rivers spoke warmly of the young Oxonian's kindness in leaving the fair for an old man, and praised Norman's taste in art. Norman rose to take leave, but still thought it incumbent on him to offer to give up the picture, if Mr. Rivers set an especial value on it. But Mr. Rivers went to the length of being very glad that it was in his possession, and added to it a very pretty drawing of the same size, by a noted master, which had been in the watercolor exhibition, and— while Norman walked away, well pleased, Mr. Rivers began to extol him to his father as a very superior and sensible young man of great promise, and began to wish George had the same turn. Norman, on returning to the fancy fair, found the world in all the ardor of raffles. Lady Leonora's contributions were the chief prizes which attracted everyone, and, of course, the result was delightfully incongruous. Poor Ethel, who had been persuaded to venture a shilling to please Blanche, who had spent all her own, obtained the two jars in potage money, and was regarding them with a face worth painting. Harvey Anderson had a doll, George Rivers a wooden monkey that jumped over a stick, and, if Hector Ernstcliffe was enchanted at winning a beautiful mother-of-pearl inlaid workbox, which she had vainly wished to buy for Margaret, Flora only gained a matchbox of her own, well known always to Miss Fire, 
but which had been decided to be good enough for the bazaar by fair means or foul the commodities were cleared off and while the sunbeams faded from the trodden grass the crowds disappeared and the vague compliment a very good bazaar was exchanged between the lingering sellers and their friends flora was again to sleep at the grange and return the next day for a committee to be held over the gains which were not yet fully ascertained so dr may gathered his flock together and packed them boys and all into the two conveyances and ethelbade made a good night almost wondering to hear her merry voice say it has been a delightful day has it not it was so kind of your brother to take care of papa oh it was delightful echoed mary and i took one pound fifteen and sixpence i hope it will do great good to cocksmoor added maida but if you want real help you know you must come to us ethel smiled but hurried her departure for she saw blanche again tormented by mr george rivers to know what had become of the guard telling her that if she would not say he would be furiously jealous blanche hid her face on ethel's arm when they were in the carriage and almost cried with indignant shamefastness that long-desired day had not been one of unmixed happiness to her poor child and ethel doubted whether it had been so to any one except indeed to mary whose desires never soared so high but that they were easily fulfilled and whose placid content was not easily wounded all she was wishing now was that harry were at home to receive her paper case the return to margaret was real pleasure the narration of all that had passed was an event to her she was so charmed with her presence of every degree things unpleasant at the time could by drollery in the relating be made mirthful fun ever after dr may and the boys were so comical in their observations mary's wonder and simplicity came in so amazingly and there was such merriment at ethel's two precious jars that she could hardly wish they had not come to her on one head they were all agreed in dislike of george rivers whom mary pronounced to be a detestable man and when gently called to order by margaret defended it by saying that miss bracy said it was better to detest than to hate while blanche colored up to the ears and hid herself behind the armchair and dr may qualified the censor by saying he believed there was no great harm in the youth but that he was shallow-brained and extravagant and having been born in the days since mr rivers had been working himself up in the world had not had so good an education as his little half-sister well what are you thinking of said her father laying his hand on ethel's arm as she was wearily and pensively putting together the scattered purchases before going up to bed i was thinking papa that there is a great deal of trouble taken in this world for a very little pleasure the trouble is a pleasure in most cases most misanthropical myths yes that is true but if so why cannot it be taken for some good they meant it to be good said dr may come i cannot have you severe and ungrateful so i have been telling myself papa all along but now that the day has come and i have seen what jealousies and competitions and vanities and disappointments it has produced not even poor little blanche allowed any comfort i am almost sick at heart with thinking cocksmore was the excuse spectators are more philosophical than actors ethel others have not been tying parcels all day i had rather do that than but that is the fox and the grapes said ethel smiling what i mean is that the real gladness in life is not in these great occasions of pleasure but in the little side delights that come in the midst of one's work don't they papa why is it worth while to go and search for a day's pleasuring 
Ethel, my child, I don't like to hear you talk so, said Dr. May, looking anxiously at her. It may be too true, but it is not youthful nor hopeful. It is not as your mother or I felt in our young days, when a treat was a treat to us, and gladden our hearts long before and after. I am afraid you have been too much saddened with loss and care. Oh, no, Papa, said Ethel, rousing herself, though speaking huskily. You know I am your Mary Ethel. You know I can be happy enough. Only at home? And Ethel, though she had tried to be cheerful, leaned against his arm and shed a few tears. The fact is, she is tired out, said Dr. May soothingly, yet half laughing. She is not a beauty or a grace, and she is thoughtful and quiet, and so she moralizes, instead of enjoying, as the world goes by. I dare say a night's rest will make all the difference in the world. Ah, but there is more to come. That ladies' committee at Coxmoor. They are not there yet, Ethel. Good night, you tired little cynic. End of Part 2, Chapter 3, Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona